Hey, today's Mother's Day, so thought we'd have a little fun and uh, ask a few questions and uh, kind of see, kind of see where our moms are and what's going on in your life. I wonder this morning, uh, which mom in the room has the most grandchildren? So here's what I'm going to do. I want to ask if you have. That we'll just look. We're going to have to go in big uh, uh, spots on this, okay? If you have five grandchildren or more, would you, would you, mom, would you lift your hand? Five grandchildren or more, would you lift your hand? Okay, I can see we're having, all right. All right, ten. Whoa. Nobody, okay, ten. Somebody else, ten. Wait, leave it up, leave it up. Somebody, yeah, husbands, you can't do it. All right, somebody else. All right. All right, okay, eleven. Eleven. Twelve. Thirteen. Wait, wait, you, anybody more than 12? Anybody more? Okay, how many? How many? I think you win. <laughs> how many? 24? You win. We're done. Game over. <laughs> wow. Wow. I want to know when your Christmas celebration is. I just want to peek in the window. I'm not coming in. I just want to watch. 24. All right. How many, how many moms do we have? You have children who were born in the, in the biggest variety of states, the most different states. How many of you have children born in two states? Two states. All right, three. Anybody three? All right, all right, four. Hold, keep them up so I can keep watching you. Four. Any moms, children born in four different states? Anybody? All right, three. Three wins it. Diana, is that you? Three wins it, right? Three? What were the states? Yes. What states? Yeah, right there. <laughs> Which states? Georgia, California, Nebraska, and here. Wow. Uh, would you welcome the traveling mom? <laughs> I don't really know how to gauge this one. Uh, maybe every mom's hand would go up. Most husbands passing out during delivery. Okay, we'll skip that one. Uh, most multiples, twins. Who has more than one set of twins? Anybody? Yes? More, more, than, more than, no, no, nobody. Okay, let me give you this one, and, and ladies, you're just going to have to get obnoxious on this one, or it's not going to work. All right? Strangest... Pregnancy craving. Anybody? What, what was it? Pickles and chicken. Of course. I eat that all the time. What? What was it? Pickles, chicken, and vanilla ice cream. So the pickles and ice cream is true. I always thought that was a myth. All right. Strawberry well, ice cream. Oh. Wow. Wow. Midnight. And, and, well, then I'm, that's before stores were open all night, right? Yes. Watermelon and what? Hot sauce. Hot sauce? Is that Kyra under there? <laughs> and that's why she's such a great cook now. I think you just won. I think it's over. I think she just won. All right. 
Hey, let me give you a little bit of Mother's Day trivia before we jump into the book of Ruth. The longest interval between children. Are you understanding the category? How long is it how long did a parent have their first child before they had their last child? 41 years, 185 days. Daughters born in 1956, son in 1997. Painful on many levels. Shortest interval between children. These are, these are uh, global statistics. 208 days. Yeah, seems like they'd figure out what caused that. <laughs> Highest number of children. Uh, you, you came for this, I guarantee you. 69. A lady in Russia in the 1700s had 16 pairs of twins Seven sets of triplets, four sets of quadruplets. Mother of the universe is she. <laughs> Most popular month for childbirth, August. How many of you moms, your, your child, you have a child born in August? How many of you? August. Most popular day of the week for childbirth, Tuesday. How many of you had a child born on Tuesday? Mother's Day is the third most popular holiday after Christmas and Easter. It's the busiest day of the year for restaurants. And Mother's Day is also the day when more phone calls are made than any other day of the year. So, everybody, call your mom. <laughs> Say hi to her, love her, appreciate her. Well, today we're continuing the series we've called portraits of forgiveness. On Easter Sunday, we collected um, scraps of paper that many of you wrote. I said to you on Easter, write down a sin that you would like God to forgive you for. And so we took those scraps of paper and we've made canvases out of them. And if you were close enough to see, you could see on this uh, final blank canvas how there are sins written all over it. And uh, we've been painting a portrait. We've called this Portraits of Forgiveness. You have King David who forgave uh, Saul and his household whose families were at odds for 20 years. And now King David has forgiven Saul's family and he's welcomed Mephibosheth who was a crippled boy. He welcomed him to live and to eat at the king's table for the rest of his life. Forgiveness takes even the worst things and make something beautiful out of them. And then last week we talked about how Joseph, if you're familiar with his story, how his brothers mistreated him, they uh, sold him off into slavery, he spent years in prison, he was mistreated in many ways all along the way, but still yet by God's plan became the second in command in the nation of Egypt and provided for his own family and for Israel, and for a remnant among God's people that the throne of David and that the whole Old Testament and the New Testament and Christ himself would come from that remnant. And so you have Joseph here uh, who's, who's, who's forgiven his brothers. And forgiveness made that entire story possible. And so today uh, Hannah's been helping us every, every week painting a different portrait. And today she's busy painting... Uh, the portrait of Naomi that we'll talk about today. So would you just appreciate her and, and welcome her, let her know you appreciate what she's been doing. 
About this time of year, this beautiful spring weather brings uh, crafts, craft fairs and outdoor markets to little towns all over the south. And somewhere among those homemade crafts, there's going to be a little sign. I guarantee you're going to see it. Now you're going to laugh even harder when you see it. There'll be a little sign somebody wrote on a hubcap or carved into a wood trinket or something. And it's going to say, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And when you read, yes, that's right. And when you read it, you'll, you'll laugh and you'll say, oh yeah, <laughs> that's the gospel. <laughs> that phrase makes us laugh, but it has some really serious implications. We're way, 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 way past the days of Leave it to Beaver with a one-car family and June Cleaver's home baking cakes and her dress and her pearls and her high heels. That's gone. I'm not sure what the average family looks like or if there really is even an average. About every possible scenario of motherhood is in the room this morning. And on Mother's Day, I really want to acknowledge that. So today, to those of you who gave birth this year, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who lost a child, an adult child in war, we grieve with you and we honor your sacrifice. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage and failed adoption or running away, we grieve with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, today we walk with you. To those who are foster moms and mentor moms and spiritual moms, today we'd like to say we really, really need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, today we celebrate you. To those who have disappointment and heartache and distance with your children, today we say to you, we comfort you and we encourage you, don't give up. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experience abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your struggle. To those who've aborted children, we remember you and today we remember them. To those who long to be married and have your own children, we stand with you and proclaim today that God has a plan. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who will have emptier nest in the upcoming year, we grieve with you and we rejoice with you. To those who placed your children up for adoption, we commend you for your unselfishness. To those of you who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. Mothering's not for the faint of heart, and this morning, before we do anything else, I want to acknowledge that there are real warriors in this room. For all the women who give and sacrifice and care and love and believe in us, I want to say on behalf of everybody, we're better off because of you. Would you give our moms and the women in this room a great big hand? Well, today we're going to look at a mom whose circumstances left her anything but happy. The story comes from the book of Ruth, and the mother's name is Naomi. I want to give you the background of the story before we catch up in Scripture with her. 
Naomi was a true believer. She was highly esteemed. She was from Bethlehem. She was uh, wealthy. She was married. She had two sons. Um, her husband's name was Elimelech. And uh, he and Naomi chose to leave their people to move uh, to Bethlehem where the economy seemed to be better. And it worked for about 10 years, but everything changed in a hurry. In a really short amount of time, Naomi lost. Her husband died, her two sons died, and the economy went down the tank. And she lost everything. She lost her money, her property, her family. She came back to Bethlehem. She had nothing but ragged clothes on her back and a daughter-in-law named Ruth who was as poor and destitute as she was. And we pick the story up in Ruth chapter 1, 19 through 22. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the, the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? It's been 10 years. She's back. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite. Her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. When Naomi arrived in Bethlehem, as she walked down the streets broken and weary and ragged and worn with age and trouble, the whole town was shocked surprised to see her again and they said to each other is this Naomi this isn't the Naomi that I remember she looks different her ten difficult years in Moab had taken their toll on her appearance and her personality Naomi was unlike the woman who had left ten years earlier Naomi changed her name she said don't call me Naomi I'm not the same person I used to be call me Mara the name Naomi means pleasant she said, call me Mara now, which means bitter. She allowed the darkest days of her life to define her entire identity. She went out full. She came back empty. Her husband was wealthy. He was highly respected. Her sons were in good health. Her family enjoyed social rank and prestige. But when she came back home, things were very different. In the last two messages, we talked about forgiveness with King David and Joseph. And we talked about two men who had an object of forgiveness. In other words, David could forgive King Saul, King Saul's family and household. Joseph had his own family to forgive, his 11 brothers and all that had happened and how they tried to kill him and the people along the way that had uh, abused him and mistreated him and lied about him. Joseph had somewhere to point his frustration, but he also had a point of contact for forgiveness. But who can Naomi forgive? Who had done her wrong? Who took her money away? Who killed her sons? Who killed her husband? Nobody. There's only one answer that really seems to fit. It's God. Look what she says in verse 21. I went away full, but who? But the Lord. I went away full. Everything was going fine. My life was sailing along exactly the way I had planned it. But the Lord, God, the big guy, the invisible one, he has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Did you catch that? Naomi blamed God. Have you ever been there? It's a tough place to be. What do you do when it's nobody's fault? What do you do when there's nobody to blame? When there's nothing visible to attach our frustration to, we oftentimes back up into a cosmic dilemma where there's no one left to point to but God Himself. It's frustrating. There are no answers for some things. And it's worse than that. There's nobody we can even attach blame to. We don't even know whose fault it is. We've all felt it. It's like a man who, you know, gets lung cancer and never smokes all his life, and you say, how, how is this fair? It's like a, a tornado seems to randomly uh, pick one house in a neighborhood, surgically remove it, and leave the other homes untouched. Whose fault is that? There's nobody to blame, and God's in charge, so it must be God's fault, and it comes from hurt, true hurt, understandable hurt. But the hurt can turn into bitterness. This is what Naomi said. She said, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. And the pains of life tend to produce that in us. So I just want to look at this idea for a few minutes of bitterness. First, where does it come from? Bitterness usually comes into our life when something happens to us that we consider unfair. You do realize that fairness is a human invention. It's not a... It's not a divine invention. You're not going to look through Scripture and find the word, concept, or principle, fairness. Anywhere. God God never seems obligated to this human invention of fairness. And so that's where, when we begin to compare, we get in so much trouble. You know, even one of Jesus' best disciples did it. The Apostle Peter, he's... There, and Jesus is telling him how he's going to die, and he says, well, what about John? How is this fair? And Jesus says, what does that have to do with you? Fairness is something that we make up. And most of us feel at times that we've been dealt a poor hand in life, or we've been kicked when we're down. Everybody, sometime or another, feels mistreated. But bitterness is a loss of perspective. If you suffer long enough, if you suffer hard enough, you'll lose your perspective. But with God, that perspective can be renewed. And so that's how bitterness generally enters our life. Everybody has something unfair happen to them somewhere. Consider how Naomi must have felt. She'd lost her husband. She'd lost her son. She's in poverty again. She lost her property. She interpreted, here's the deal, here's the big deal. She interpreted, that's what happens with perspective. We interpret things one way and then this pain enters our life and we interpret it now a different way, usually through the eyes of bitterness. She interpreted the circumstances in her life as God's judgment. But God was using these circumstances for her good. Now, I'm not saying that God allowed her husband and two sons to die for her good. I'm not saying that. That's not true. That that happened, and there seems to be no explanation for why that happened. But God was nudging her back home to Bethlehem so that God's promises could be fulfilled. Let me say this another way. Even though she had great loss, God didn't cause the loss... But her life still had great purpose. That's the thing. 
Her life still had great purpose. Sometimes we feel because of what we suffered, we're no longer a candidate for, to do anything great. Our life no longer has meaning. Our life no longer has purpose. But the good news we can see this morning is our life continues with great purpose. Naomi was destined to be the great-grandmother of King David and the ancestor of Jesus. But none of that could have happened until she got back to Bethlehem. So how did God get her back to Bethlehem? Dried the resources up there so that she would go back to the other resources that were available to her to get her in his plan. I think the Bible says it like this. All things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. I heard somebody once say, life is 5% what happens and 95% how we respond. Life is 5% what happens and 95% how we respond. What life does to us depends on what life finds in us. And when life finds bitterness in us, our perspective shifts and we're likely to never, we're likely to never rejoin that plan that God has for our life. So, how do you know when you're bitter? One of the fascinating things about bitterness, I think, is some amount of the time, the people who are bitter don't know they're bitter. Somehow the perspective shift causes a blindness, an inability to see and to realize. So, let's talk about what bitterness looks like. Bitterness causes irritability in relationships. You have a tough time getting along with people. You overreact. You tend to be critical and cynical and attracted to things that fuel your anger. Have you ever seen people that just seem to be magnetically drawn to negative things over and over and over? And no matter what story comes along, what they'll hear, everybody else will hear how great it was and they'll hear about the one thing that was wrong. You know, these are chronic news watchers. You know what I'm saying? Just cycle that bad news over and over and over and over and over. Just attracted to what's wrong. And this cycle is debilitating inside relationships. A person that stays in a fighting mood, that looks for the bad. If, you're, if you find yourself very slow to forgive, even the smallest things, maybe there's some bitterness at work. There's a story about a man who was uh, bit by a dog who had rabies. And his friend... Uh, uh, heard about it and saw him, and he, when he walked up on him, he was writing feverishly. And he said, uh, hey, listen, you don't have to write your will out. Uh, rabies is curable. And he said, I'm not writing my will out. I'm making a list of all the people I'm going to go bite. <laughs> Bitterness causes us to bite the ones we love. Bitterness also leaves us empty. Naomi said, I left full, I came back empty. Bitterness sucks the joy out of your life. If you feel like you're always on the outside looking in of everybody else's happier and joy joyful life, you might be struggling with bitterness. Bitter people don't enjoy life. And bitterness is contagious. Bitterness tends to spread. One bad apple, as it turns out, really does spoil the whole bunch. Bitterness is never satisfied until it makes a big show of itself. Uh, people who are bitter, or in the times of our lives that we struggle with bitterness, we long for validation on our negative emotions. 
We want our negative emotions to be validated by somebody. Well, if I were you, and I'd gone through what you go through, I'd feel the same way you feel. What are we longing for? Permission to stay bitter. That's what we want. We want somebody to come along and approve of it and say yes. So if you find yourself longing for validation for negative emotions, you may be struggling with bitterness. And bitterness leads to sin. When you feel you've been treated unjustly, there's something that rises up inside of you and say, don't take this bitterness away from me, I deserve it. And that sounds silly when you say it like that, doesn't it? Except for, at least most of us felt that way. Don't take that bitterness away from God, you can't take that away, I'm not letting you have it. I deserve it, I earned it. I suffered for this. And I want it, and it's mine. And nobody's going to make me not mad. You, 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 ever had something, uh, you ever had something happen to you, offensive, and, and you were so, ooh, you were so mad about it, you were so wound up, uh, but you couldn't sustain the anger as long as you wanted to? <laughs> something funny happened? You ever have this? This happens in marriage a lot of times. Something funny happens or brings you back to your senses or you share a moment that reminds you of a moment you shared uh, when you were young and in love or something, that happens and you go, oh, forget it. I wanted to be mad longer. Anybody? Bitterness has this idea that I deserve to be bitter. And so that oftentimes creates a rebellion toward God. If God's going to do this to me, then I'll show him. I mean, I'll show him. I'll show out and I'll show him. If, if you struggle, if you're like a rebel without a cause, you struggle with rebellion, you have a deep problem with authority, it's likely it comes from a root of bitterness somewhere. Bitterness can also be self-destructive. Did you know, did you know that uh, a rattlesnake... If you corner a rattlesnake too long, it'll become so stressed that sometimes it'll bite itself. I thought, what a picture of bitterness. It's everybody else. It's everybody else's fault. This person did this, and this person did that. And you don't understand what happened to me. You don't understand the circle. It's like the whole universe is against me. You don't understand what's happened to me. And then all of a sudden, in a weird way, because I've been mistreated, what I'm going to start doing is mistreating myself even worse. Oftentimes, the person who blames God begins to think that God is against them and they don't deserve anything but God's wrath. So they become the agent of God's wrath to their own life. That's a perspective loss. That's a, that's a total perspective loss. Feelings of self-hatred and self-destruction are usually signs of bitterness. So how do, how do you cure bitterness? Well, we can see it in Naomi's story. Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, just happened, happened to come into contact with the most eligible bachelor in all of Bethlehem, a wealthy man named Boaz. And suddenly it dawned on Naomi that this was no accident, but God himself had arranged the meeting. So in Ruth chapter 2, we pick the story up somewhere around verse 10. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him. 
Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Now look, this is the woman that said, Call me bitter. Now she's saying, Will the Lord bless him? Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Maybe in a translation you read it, it says kinsman redeemer. He is, a, um, he is a distant relative of our family who under Hebrew uh, culture and law is, is eligible and, and, and uh, um, required to somehow take care of us. To, he has the option to redeem our family back and to take care of us. So here she begins to see her eyes start to open. Her perspective starts to shift again. Suddenly God was good. And she saw that God had sent Boaz to be the redeemer even before Ruth and Boaz, even before the relationship had started, Naomi's spirit had started to change. So Boaz had been in the town the whole time. His position as an eligible bachelor was well known, but her bitter spirit had blinded her until that very day. In a short amount of time, Naomi started noticing, or the town started noticing the difference in Naomi's life. And Naomi began to say, don't call me bitter anymore. Call me pleasant. Let me give you another way to say that. Call me favored. I am the favored of the Lord. When Naomi changed perspective, she saw how God had been working in her life all along. She began to see the big picture. She began to see the big picture. Now, let me tell you how the book of Ruth ends. It ends in a fascinating way. The women of Bethlehem had gathered around Naomi. Not Ruth, around Naomi. And listen to what they said to her. Remember how she said, the Lord afflicted me, the Lord made me empty, the Lord caused this. Remember all that? Let me tell you what the women of Bethlehem gathered around and started to speak to her and speak over her life and celebrate with her that her perspective had changed again. They began to say to her, the Lord has not left you. You could stop there, couldn't you? The Lord has not left you. I mean, that's loaded with good news. The Lord has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. The, the Lord has not left you without provision without a plan, without a future, without hope. And then they followed with this, He will renew your life and sustain you in old age. Yes, what that, what back there, that was terrible. That was awful. It was painful. We grieve you. you. Losing your husband and losing your sons are, are, is a tragedy in a whole other category that most people never endure. It's painful, it's horrible, it's miserable, but God didn't do it. And despite it, God has a plan and is still working it, and you have great purposes on this earth and in this kingdom, and God Himself has not left you without a Redeemer. You might have been poor for a while, but you've come back now, and this kinsman Redeemer will provide for you. And He did. Boaz took Naomi in, as his mother-in-law, and he took care of her the rest of her life. And the book of Ruth closes. You know how it closes? Ruth has a baby, and the book closes with that grandson sitting in Naomi's lap. God has a plan. He will renew and sustain, and he is... That's a different perspective, isn't it? All she could see herself was a broken-down... Empty, sad woman 
who had lost everything and had no purpose. But at the end of the book, she is filled with purpose and bouncing a baby grandson on her knee. I can't explain every bad thing that ever happens. But I know this. God has a plan. So I'm going to ask our uh, worship team to come. And you can see Hannah's been painting a picture of Naomi. At her feet, you see these dark shadows. Naomi is shedding her grieving clothes. And she's rising with new purpose and new life. This morning, I want to ask you to stand with me. And I'd like to ask every, every mom, really like to ask every woman in the room, if you'd just come and join me here for prayer, I'd like to pray with you. Every mom. Every mom, every woman, whether you're a mom or not, however that falls, if you're from the balcony, would you come? If you've struggled with bitterness, whether you're, whether you're a lady or a, or a man or a teenager or a child, come on up. I'm not going to jump off here or anything. Come on up. I promise. I'm not, nothing crazy is going to happen. Come on, come on up. with bitterness, I, I want to remind you of a few things. God loves you. First John says God is love. He doesn't have a, he's not going to violate himself. He can't stop loving you because it's who he is. The second thing is God hurts with you. The Bible says that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that means that God lives inside you. So if you hurt, he hurts. the thought is God has the big picture you know Philippians 1 6 he who began a good work and you will complete it and look whether you're a, a man a teenager a, a mom a lady this is a good would y'all come on around I, they're going to have they're going to need some more space over there y'all mind thank you thank you yeah just keep going
If you're here and you say, I, I need to know that God loves me. With nobody looking, whether you're at the, here at the altar with us or not, would you just lift your hand and say, I want to pray with you. You just need to say, I need to know God loves me. Yes, you put it right back down. I see your hand. You put it right back down. We're going to pray this morning. God's going to reveal Himself today. He loves you. Somebody else, I need to know God loves me. That's an honest prayer. And it's a prayer everybody prays sometimes. Maybe you're here and you say, I need to know God hurts with me. I need to know God knows. I need to know God knows what's going on. I need confirmation in my life that God hasn't abandoned me. He hasn't left me. And He knows what I'm going through. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me? I need to know that. I see your hand. You put it right back down. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a prayer request. That's what you're doing. Somebody else. I need to know today, I need God to speak to my heart and remind me that His promises are true and He will finish what He started. I need that today. I need confirmation from God. I need affirmation from God. Would you lift your hand everywhere in the room and say, that's me. I need that prayer today. Okay. One more and we're going to pray. I need to forgive God. I need to let go. I need a perspective change. I need to see this thing differently than I see it. And would you just agree with me in prayer that God's going to help me today to forgive, to let go, to release, to move on, to give me a different perspective. Would you lift your hand and I just want to pray with you. Yeah, I see you. All right, now I'm telling you, we're going to pray. And here's what I believe. I believe when we pray, things change. I believe when you pray, your words aren't going out in the air and dying. When you pray, something happens to you. When you pray, things start to change. So everywhere in this room, with every eye closed, I want you to begin to pray with me right now. And we're going to pray through those things we just talked about. And we're going to ask God by His own supernatural power to work in this moment. Lord, today I love you. And I thank you for every mom. I thank you for every woman. I thank you for every girl in this church. I thank you for... For the way that you reveal yourself through women, the way that you reveal so much of you we'd never understand if we couldn't see it modeled in a woman's life somewhere. And I thank you, Lord, and this morning I pray a blessing over every woman here. I pray a blessing over every mom. I pray a blessing over every future mom. I pray a blessing over every little girl that will grow up and become an adult woman. Lord, I, I pray a blessing over their life today. That they would know that there's a place under your reign. That they are blessed and they are favored. They are not bitter. They are not empty. They will not be left alone. There is a plan at work. So I pray your blessing over their life today. Lord, I pray this morning for a revelation of love. For every hand that went up this morning said, I need to know God loves me. Lord, I pray for a revelation of love this morning. I pray for a revelation of the God who is love. Reveal yourself. Meet that person who lifted their hand. That person who's reaching out in their heart right now. Meet them where they are, God. And I pray the supernatural work of God would begin to breathe new life. A revelation of, of, of who you really are would come through their life now. Lord, I pray that you reveal yourself as the God who knows. The God who sees everything. Lord, for the one who feels alone, who feels abandoned, who feels that even you don't know what's going on. God, we speak this morning your own word. That you see everything. You have put in a jar every tear that we cry, Psalm says. God, I pray you would speak life right now. 
You would speak closeness and nearness. Your presence would be felt in a way it's not been felt in a long time. Lord, let your presence move through this room like a mighty wind right now. Lord, I pray for the one who says, will you finish? Is there a plan? God, I pray for a perspective shift this morning. God, I pray that you would not just reassure us that you have a plan, but I pray even for some, this is a divine appointment, that you're revealing the plan. Lord, that somehow the the stuff that happened back there is starting to make sense. There's a perspective change happening in this room. Lord, for the ones who lifted their hand and said, I need to know that God will finish what He started. Lord, I pray You'd reveal Yourself this morning. Let, Let there come a God encounter in this moment that will change life. Lord, I pray finally today for those who say, I need to let go. Would would you just pray with me if that was your prayer? I need to let go. God, today, would you just pray it with me? God, today, I let go. I refuse to blame you anymore. I let go of any anger I had at you. I let go of the frustration I had at you. I declare that you are a good God. And I declare that although I've suffered... You have a purpose for my life. And I declare that you have great things for me in this life. And Lord, I surrender to them now. I let go. I let go. And I I receive freedom for my soul today. I receive freedom for my soul. Lord, I thank you today for these moms. I thank you for every man and every woman who prayed these prayers. God, I pray that you would sear in our heart, seal in us what you've done today by your mighty power, by your Spirit. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. God love every one of you. I can't tell you how much we appreciate you. Would you just let these women hear how much you appreciate them this morning and just fill this room with applause God bless you.